Welcome to Reconciling Grace, a program where church leaders discuss various topics from the Bible. During the discussions, there may or may not always be agreement from every panel member on every point, but there is full agreement on the fact that the way to God the Father is through the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ. This is Pete Vecchi, one of the associate pastors for West Carrollton Church of the Nazarene, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Reconciling Grace. On our panel today is Steve Wilson. Steve is a graduate of United Theological Seminary in Dayton. He is a freelance Christian author. Vicki Cundiff is with us. Vicki is one of the associate pastors for Countryside Church of the Nazarene in Lebanon, Ohio. And leading our discussion today is Mick Wells. Mick is part of the Wells of Salvation Ministries. He's been with Wells of Salvation Ministries since 1980. He is also one of the co-hosts of Cross Connection Radio. And Mick, you have what I'd call a really light topic today, don't you? One of these really easy things to talk about, and uh, I'll just let you share what it is. Well, thanks, Pete. I, I, I kind of gravitate to these, these light topics. Actually, I get a lot out of... Uh, studying for these programs, and it's wonderful to be able to share. And people might know that I was being facetious when I said it's a light topic. Yeah, facetious. That's another one of those words I use and haven't ever looked up to see what it really means. But uh, nonetheless, you know, isn't it wonderful that we serve a God who gave us a written word to study? And as we've noted on this program in the past, God meets us on our level. He meets us on our terms. He can take the most complex things in the world and open up the eyes of people who don't consider themselves students of the Word or good students in in general or what have you. But he can make the most complex things simple. On the other hand, the reason people can read the Bible every year cover to cover and get something new out of it is because God has loaded the Word with all kinds of things for us to find and study and to discover. So the topic today, it sounds simple, but there are the brightest minds in this world, the brightest Christians, still have disagreements over aspects of this particular topic. And the topic is the Trinity. That's a word that you won't find written in the Bible, but the concept is made uh, very clear. It it can be confusing. Well, so what is the Trinity? Well, let's just give uh, the bottom line. The Trinity represents the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Consider these three members or persons, parts of the Godhead. Three distinct, simultaneous co-eternal and co-powerful persons in not three gods, but one, one God. So right off the bat, people are going to say, hey, you know, how can you have three persons and it all be one God? And I think therein lies one of the first hurdles people have to come to grips with when studying uh, the Trinity. Well, Uh, God just happens to be three persons, according to the Scripture. One of the songs that kept running through my mind as I was preparing the notes for this was uh, a very well-known hymn of the faith, and I thought, wow, this is is right on target. Uh, A familiar hymn, any of you who have been in and around a church uh, during your life are going to remember 
the words, the lyrics, holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. That's one of my all-time favorite hymns, Mick. I just want you to know that. Yeah. And you know, in previous programs, we were uh, talking about hearing the word of God and so forth. Look what God did in this situation. The fellow that wrote the words to this lived from 1783 to 1826, but this wasn't put to music until long after the writer of the lyrics died. In 1861, about the time of the American Civil War, the music was put to this. But what a wonderful hymn uh, this is, Holy, Holy, Holy. Well, as always in Reconciling Grace programs, we want to take a look at what the Bible has to say. And even though the word Trinity isn't there, as I mentioned, there's certainly a lot of uh, evidence of the three persons uh, in the Godhead Pete, would you start us off? I'm going to have uh, Pete and Steve read the same verse, but out of two different versions of the Bible. So I'd like you to read, uh, Pete, 1 John chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, out of the New International Version. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. Do you have any idea what that means, Pete? As far as what those three agree on. They're talking in that context about baptism and, and those kind of things. I don't have the whole passage out there in front of me, but I know that uh, uh, John was talking about baptism and, mm-hmm. and those types of things in that passage. Yeah, when I read the Spirit, the water, and the blood, blood I think of as blood Christ shed on the cross, and, and the water, of course, is baptism. And uh, I know what the Spirit of God is. But, you know, the King James Version, and this may be the reason people are so adamant that, uh, that they, they, they cling to these words, the King James Version for the same two verses. Steve, would you share those? For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one, and there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. Yeah, now that could probably uh, direct our discussion for a long time. Uh, the verse you read, Pete, didn't say anything about bearing record or testifying in earth versus heaven, as Steve just read. And the first part that Steve read, uh, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one, I don't think we would have much trouble at all accepting and and justifying our view of the Trinity if this, if this verse were in all of our Bibles. And so it's probably a study unto itself to know why the NIV doesn't have it and the King James does, but it very clearly it speaks of the three persons of the Godhead. Uh, any other thoughts on that before we go on? Well, the only thing I was thinking is exactly what you said, is that one version does show it, one another doesn't show it, and that would make an, another great uh, episode on the difference between the different translations and stuff. And it's been one of the things on our back burner for a while. I don't know if we'll get to it sooner or later, but there is a lot uh, to be understood there as well. Yeah. But if you have a Bible that doesn't have that verse in it, Fortunately, the Scripture has all kinds of references to the persons of, of the Trinity. Now, I want to talk about one God or three. And I think the uninitiated, when they think about the Trinity, say, okay, how, how can that be? And uh, 
Vicki, would you share with us uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is one. So, Lord in all caps, as I understand, is referenced in Hebrew to Jehovah, who is the triune God. But I don't know what the Jewish perspective of this is, other than they call this, how do you pronounce that, Steve? Shema? The Shema. The Shema. And Jesus also quotes this in uh, the New Testament, verse uh, 12, or excuse me, Mark 12, verses 28 through 29. But that is a benchmark for those who believe uh, that God is is one God. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? A, yeah, I was going to say that word, Shema, is just, um, it's short for, uh, to reference what that verse is, because where it says, hear, O Israel, uh, that first word here in Hebrew is Shema. Okay, very good. Good insight. Great to have the expertise on the panel here, Steve. <laughs> um, a couple of verses I'll read to you that go along with this. Isaiah 45, verse 5 says, I am the Lord, there's none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me. And then Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 6 says, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. So when we, when we think of uh, our God, are we worshiping one God or multiple gods? Well, we're worshiping one God. Now, a lot of this has to do, though, with, with hindsight and understanding it. I know that these verses that you've just shared with us, Mick, um, are amongst those that, for instance, the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day kept looking at by trying to say, hey, you can't be equal with God. There is only one God. How can there be another? God that we know is you know, somewhere else, and you're standing here, and you are not God, because they just could not conceive how two could be one, even though Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Yes. Uh, great point. Uh, and, and that's an early evidence of confusion that persists to this day. We have various groups that claim to be Christian that don't believe in the Trinity. And uh, I looked them up on, you know, I'll say it facetiously, <laughs> the source of all knowledge, Wikipedia. You can read all kinds of, of faith groups that uh, do not believe in the Trinity. But the references to one God here, they don't necessarily disprove the Trinity. The Shema is just saying that God is one Lord. Uh, Yahweh or Jehovah is alone. He is the God. And the teaching that we follow is monotheism. It is one God, but manifest in three persons. Um, well, if we confess monotheism, as I think all four of us do on this panel, we do not preclude the biblical doctrine uh, of the Trinity. God is plural. And even in the Old Testament, if they were to look at some of the words used in, in, in the Old Testament back in Old Testament times, they would find that the word God is, when it's called Elohim, is a plural, it possibly implying the Trinity, 
And um, let's go back to a seminal verse on this, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Pete, would you share that with us? Sure. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now, what does that strike you as representing? The fact that the uh, word is plural there, let us make man in our own image, tells me that there must be somebody other than the one speaking who uh, is is there. So is it one God? God said it, but who is us if we are talking about God? That's but, one of those questions. Sure, and the language itself implies, well, it just states. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's more than one making that statement. So one God somehow having a conversation on behalf of multiple uh, persons in the Godhead. And we're going to pick up with that thought here in just a few moments. But first, we do need to take a break for our sponsor. Welcome back to Reconciling Grace. In our program today, we are looking at the concept of the Trinity, the one God manifest in, in three persons. You know, uh, very interesting uh, doctrine, and it took a little while, I think, for the Christian church to actually recognize it, codify it, uh, put it down on paper, and, and sign up to it. What I read was that the earliest mention of the Trinity or dealing with the Trinity was from a fellow early church father named Tertullian around 200 A.D., but it, uh, the Christian world finally got around to putting it on paper and they did so in the creeds, and particularly in the Council of Nicaea, a group of early church leaders met in 325 AD. They crafted a version of what we could now call the Nicene Creed, the Statement of Beliefs, which was amended um, nearly 50 years later in another council at Constantinople over in what is uh, now Turkey, that in 381 A.D., and I don't have the whole thing written here, but I've asked Steve to share uh, some excerpts that I've listed, and then I will come back in with how this has been modified. But this is what the amended Council of Nicaea Creed came out, amended in Council of Constantinople, and ha- included these words. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. Yeah, and even though, thank you, Stephen, even though these words don't come straight out of the Scripture, they're a clear uh, reflection of the beliefs, basic beliefs of the church fathers 
were recorded for us. And I don't know about you, in my church experience, sometimes we will repeat and have like a congregational reading of these. Have you done the same in yours? Yeah. Okay. Well, one thing I want to point out here was at the time this was amended at the Council of Constantinople in 381, it read in part, and I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified. Now, there are words that Steve read and I think survive in most versions of the Nicene Creed today. Um, Believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. Emphasis on and the Son. That wasn't in the original. But about a century after the Nicene Creed was uh, amended at the Council of Constantinople, we had a phenomenon in the early Christian world called Arianism. Arianism was, I'll call it heretical. I believe it's considered heretical. They tried to make Jesus something less than God. And so in order to offset that, they had... Somebody added at the regional level, the local level, one group in Spain and another over in India added the words, proceeds from the Father and the Son. And this might sound like trivia, but it it plays such a, a critical role in the development of the church. The addition of the words and the Son is known in Latin as the filioque. Um... It was formally added to the creed by Rome around the time that the Crusades started, actually, about 1014. And they picked it up to try to protect the beliefs against the concept of Arianism, because if the Holy Spirit is flowing from the Father and the Son, the Father and the Son are on a par with God, and the procession of the Holy Spirit comes from them. Now, would you believe... Those humble three words added to this creed is the reason we see a split in a major split in Christendom. You know that there's the Roman Catholic Church, uh, and today we have the Orthodox Church. And the Orthodox Church did not agree with the addition of those words, and the Catholic Church, of course, had inserted them uh, for for good reason, Um, but it it caused the split of the Christian church. Now, I'm sure there were other small sects of Christianity out there, but the addition of these three words, and it tried to explain the relationship and the procession of uh, who flows from whom. So the Catholics and the Protestants today Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, proceeds from them, according to this. We're in the Orthodox Church, you have the Father, and then the Son and the Holy Spirit proceeds directly from the Father. And I had a Bible college professor who would say, and doesn't that just bless your socks off? (laughs) Well, fortunately, we have enough words of Scripture to give us an appreciation. I I don't know that our eternity is going to fall... Uh, one way or the other on where we believe these these words should be in there, but it, it is significant that the church split around the year 1014 uh, over a disagreement on that. 
But according to the Bible, all three persons who are members of the Trinity, who are part of, who comprise one God, each of them is, in its essence, fully God. And let's talk first about uh, God the Father. Vicki, would you share with us uh, John 6, verse 27? Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So you see that uh, Jesus referred to his Father as God. And so I accept that. Mm -hmm. And then we look at God the Son as being fully God. And Pete, would you share with us uh, Colossians 2, verse 9, which I consider one of my favorite verses. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Don't you wish all the aspects of Scripture were that clear? Yep. Yep. Any thoughts on that? I mean, it's just amazing to me when you talk to people today and you ask them, is Jesus God? If they're reading that Scripture, how they could come up with any other Conclusion. I don't want to get down your proverbial rabbit trail here, Mick, but one of the things that I know people will sometimes point to is the fact, well, those are just words of Paul. Those aren't the words of Jesus. Now, I know that there are other references in the New Testament where Jesus himself claims deity, and so those are just as strong. I do like that passage, though. I really do. Yeah. And for the record, folks, uh, the Bible tells us that all Scripture is there for our studying and for reproof and, and uh, for our edification in spiritual matters, to paraphrase. Well, Mick, it's interesting that as I read on down to verse 29 in John chapter 6, Jesus said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to me, that's crystal clear. Yeah. I mean, what is it, uh, John... Uh, what is it, 856, which Jesus said before Abraham was, I am? You can't get much more clear than that. No, and I, I think of my two very dear friends that hadn't always lived a Christian life. Uh, I had one over to the house uh, some years ago, and I was talking to him about spiritual things, and, and he stopped me. He says, you mean Jesus is God? I said, yeah, absolutely. Now, he was a believer but for some reason, he didn't think Jesus was God. So that's why it's important we study things like the Trinity and the, the essence and qualities, characteristics of the Godhead as well as their role. Now, let me be really quick. I think it's John 8.58, not 8.56. Again, that's off the top of my head. Okay, well, good memory. Um, I had another uh, person, he, he died a few years ago. I graduated from high school with him. And uh, I was asking him questions. I said, and, and I'm kind of like this, I'm pretty well out in the open. And I said, you know, Mike, you and I are getting up there now. We need to start think, thinking seriously about our eternity. And I was witnessing to him. And I, I gave him kind of a, a questionnaire over the phone. And I said, do you believe that Jesus is God? And his response was absolutely not. But a few years before that, he had visited a Baptist church uh, in Ohio, and he had given his life to Christ in the, the pastor's study. He later on said, that's the best thing I ever did for myself. The pastor told me later he would, had been crying all over the place. He was actually giving his life to Jesus Christ, but didn't realize that Jesus 
was God. And uh, it's, it's such a, uh, a sobering thing to think you could believe that somebody less than God could pay the penalty for our sins, actually. Well, we're not all mature enough to understand. When I say we, I mean, we are all saved um, at different levels of understanding, different levels of knowledge. And so what I'm hoping we're doing here is to educate people. To clarify. Exactly, exactly. And I just want to clarify that if people who are hearing this might know of somebody who hasn't quite understood that yet, that doesn't mean that they're hopelessly lost forever. It could just mean that they haven't quite grasped that concept yet. Yeah, fortunately, we believe in an absolutely just God. He may understand the confusion Mm -hmm. surrounding certain things and understand that the person committed their faith and trust to Jesus Christ. And that's what we hope all you listeners of our program uh, either have done or will do. Um, Jesus, um, in Matthew chapter 14, verse 33, I've asked Steve to to share that. We find that Jesus also accepted worship. Right, and this is right after uh, Jesus had saved Peter from drowning when Peter uh, went out walking on the water says, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, you are certainly God's son. Okay, well, the key there that Steve uh, shared with us is that the people in the boat, they worshipped him. That's what the Bible tells us. They worshipped who? Jesus. Uh, God is the only one who deserves worship. And I think the scripture is clearly saying that Jesus didn't say, like the angel had said, angel said, don't worship me, I serve the same one you do. But these people were worshiping Jesus. Jesus didn't refute their worship. He accepted it. Mm-hmm. And that's something deserving only for God. Well, I want to share with you John chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. Uh, wonderful words. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now we're talking about two members of the Godhead here, God the Father and God the Son. Jesus identifies with the Father um, so much so that if we knew if we know him, we know the Father. And that's a an argument for that they're the same in their essence, even to the physical. From now on, you do know him, and you've seen him. So those who saw Jesus uh, also understood that they were uh, seeing the Father as well. I think of things like this whenever I look in the mirror, because I'm told I'm in the image of God. I look in the mirror and say, God, uh, is, is that your image? And if so, Thank you very much, mm-hmm. you know, to ident- be able to identify with God. We want to talk about the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to drop down here to a verse in closing today's program. The Trinity, the word doesn't appear in the Bible, yet the doctrine is clearly evident. Listen to this. How many parts of the Godhead do you see in this verse? Matthew 3, verses 16 to 17, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. 
with him I am well pleased. And friends, in these two verses, you see all three members of the Godhead mentioned, and we can explore that a little bit in our next session, but uh, the Trinity mentioned right there in Matthew 3. It seems like we've been uh, taking on subjects that we just can't do justice to in one episode. So as Mick has mentioned, we are planning on picking up this discussion of the Trinity next time. So for Mick Wells, for Steve Wilson, and for Vicki Cundiff, this is Pete Vecchi. Thank you for joining us today for Reconciling Grace. May God bless you. This has been Reconciling Grace. Join us again next time as our panel discusses biblical truths centered around the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ.